This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, welcome to Jikoji. Uh, we're coming to the close of the year. Um, a kind of wrap-up time, maybe. It's uh, we have a New Year's um, event on is it Tuesday night? Mm-hmm. Tuesday night. Tuesday night is New Year's Eve, so we have a New Year's um, event here. Um, a little bit more about it later uh, as we go for lunch, but uh, have a time to celebrate and kind of really wrap up the old year and um, and anticipate the new one. I actually feel, personally, I actually feel that uh, we're already in the new year. Uh, when the solstice happens, you know, and the days are just a little bit longer, I feel I'm already kind of leaning into the, into like what's next, you know, the new, the new time. So uh, Cliff and I thought that uh, for today um, we could um, talk uh, mainly about the practice experience itself, about the meditation or practice experience itself. Um, Each of us has our own um, experience and our own, maybe our own description to ourselves of our experience um, but this might be a time for us at the at the end of the year to examine the uh, practice itself the actual experience of practice itself what's going on uh, with us and um, and also as we share these experiences um, Cliff is going to um, talk a little bit about uh, this topic and uh, and I will too and I invite all of you to share your experiences and maybe as we um, examine this together our our mutual experiences we can find some um, support and uh, understanding of what we're actually doing here which uh, <laughs> might be interesting we'll see anyway uh, Cliff thank you I had, uh, this is something that I've been thinking about for many, many years, of course, and uh, I titled it Six Approaches to Zazen. And it uh, really, you could use practices or pure practices being instead of the approaches or the pure Zazen, meaning what I'm looking toward, but not. Uh, Well, that'll come up later. Another subtopic is, uh, or way of subtitling this is uh, uh, absorbing ego into awareness. So what I propose to do is to sort of read very briefly my notes on the uh, six (coughs) approaches. 
I think each of us is probably practicing one or more of them, probably most of them, in various ways. Uh, so, briefly, they are first, posture. Just posture. Keeping, your, your, keeping a little tension in your posture, particularly your spine upright, your legs crossed, ideally, if you can. Uh, chin back a little bit to help stretch the top of the spine and the little bit in the lumbar of the back curvature inward. Looks a little bit like this, where this lower part of the stick is the lumbar area. This is the area right behind the shoulders because you're keeping your chest open and your arms open a little bit. And the top of it is sort of going up to the top of your head, what you feel up there, and then between your eyebrows. Sort of a curlicue. Things get curled up in there, and that's where the egoist sits. The uh, prefrontal cortex of the brain. But in that posture, there's also the implication what you're doing is you're being upright. Well, you're being upright also in a moral sense, and uh, just being honest to your ideal or aspiration or intention of being here in the practice, uh, trying to faithfully <laughs> uh, be yourself, not get distracted, as we so often are. Breath is part of it, and the breath is just having a normal breath. And there is a catch to this. That, uh, that's pretty much it. The posture is all you really require, the uprightness, sitting and being with yourself, taking care. But uh, if you're not satisfied with your sitting, then you're, it's probably because your mind is wandering. <laughs> you're getting distracted and wandering off. So what we do is we bring our mind back to what we intended to do in the first place, uh, returning to mindfulness and maintaining the posture. The, uh, I think Zazen is one of four states of consciousness that are easily identifiable to everybody. One is uh, normal, ordinary mind, and that's partly egocentric mind. The other two are sleeping, <laughs> you're actually dozing, <laughs> or uh, thinking. You're off on some tangent. So what we do is recognizing where we are, we return to ordinary consciousness or to Zazen practice to being honest and true to our aspiration for sitting here. So that's posture and uprightness. <clears throat> the second one, and all the way through the fifth one, follow pretty closely something that, uh, well, they don't really follow. They're sort of analogous to, to a workshop that Kokyo Henkel, who's an occasional teacher here and also the head, or at least a teacher at uh, Santa Cruz Zen Center, and he's going to give a talk in 
the end of February or January, January 26th on Sunday. It's his last talk before he leaves for a year or more. So anyone who wants to ask questions about these and this is welcome to come on January 26th. And he, would, he has a great more detail. I'm just hitting highlights to me. The second approach is single-minded focus on breath. Just returning. What you're returning to is the attention, the foreground of your breathing and the sensations, maybe in your nostrils and in this uh, coldness of the air coming into the nostrils. I was coming back to that single-minded focus that has precedence in psychology going back a century or two where William James said something like the essence of training yourself of morality is to be able to repetitively bring your mind back to what you intended <laughs> to begin with. The third one is feeling breathing with your whole body, senses and sensations unbounded inclusion. It's the background, also known as awareness. Thank you, Mark, for bringing that to the foreground at your discussion. But uh, it's, it's a little bit tied in with Kashanti, but uh, instead of just focusing on your breathing, you're, you're actually full-bodied, feeling your breathing, you're feeling your full body, and you're absorbing things that sort of are on the, uh, including everything that you can. So you're very consciously, this is your practice. It's to not just focus on the head or the, the mind or returning, but to come back to full-bodied, uh, I forget what Kokio called it, I think it's uh, pan something panoscopic or total inclusion of everything that comes to mind, that's in your mind and in your awareness. So it's, uh, that's kind of the background, focus on the background, whereas the focus on your breathing is the foreground of attention, or you might call it the focus of attention, and the background is awareness. And in Mark's talk, or Mark's Science and Buddhism, he brought up a particular book that was had this whole topic well laid out. I can't remember the author. I think I have it here. But uh, it was called Aware, and it's by a very prominent leading psychologist and teacher of mindfulness and therapy and meditation. Uh, more an academic than a teacher in our tradition, not really in our tradition, in the inquiry tradition. So first is uprightness, posture, the second is single-minded focus, attention, the third is including the background, uh, feeling, patience, inclusion. The fourth is what Coben once called turning the eyebrows around, looking inside to 
you know, there, there's doing this, you're doing this, your, your constant effort and intention is in doing this, but there's a doer implicit in your mind. And what you want to do is to find that doer, find out where I am doing this, you know, I want to do this. When you return, you think, I'm a little bit mad because I wandered off. <laughs> I'm going to be better. I'm not going to be this wandering-minded person. So, uh, you, you come back and you think, now who is it who is telling you this, that you should be better? Who's it who's correcting you? And that's in part the ego who has this aspiration and ideal memorized and it's trying to bring you, make you faithful to it. So come back and focus on the ego. Focus on not the I'm doing, but the I in the I'm doing. Look backwards into yourself. And you, in that, and there's a, a location is very clearly identified to most of us. Frequently it's, uh, you know, the two inches behind our eyebrow, the prefrontal cortex, we can actually feel some sensation in the ego's machinations. And, but anyway, there's a sense of location of it being frequently in the head or sometimes in the spine and uh, body also, extending up and down like the stick that I told you about earlier. Kind of behind the eyes, in a sense? Like yeah, it's usually the, the prefrontal cortex is definitely behind the eyes and uh, the ego is sort of the rationing, rationalizing, thinking, verbalizing, making up I am doing this kinds of sentences or maybe my explanation it's not really being true to what's happening it's being it's making up things that'll make you sound a little bit good in your own mind so you could accept yourself or trying to find ways of explaining yourself to other people frequently so it's not really true to the current situation that's one of the problems with it so this focus on the self is on the I part of the self, not the self, maybe the self-image, but the thing that's the active part of that. Ego is also the change manager. It, you know, if the situation changes, it suddenly comes up with some sentences frequently that uh, explain your self in a way that really is part of the mind's continuous creation of a self-image. So not really the self, but instead the self-image is what the, what the thing that you sense inside your head, the I, is occupied with. And the fifth is sort of what, like the uh, third. Uh, let's see if I want to... It's dissolving that sense of I. You've located it, you're finding the boundaries, you're, uh, am I not talking loud enough? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> you're, you're, when you're locating, you sort of expand your, or you go back and include your awareness of that. So your focus, your attention is really on your, the I that is part of the ego 
and that is part of monitoring what I should be doing and what I think I'm doing and what I think I am. And the awareness, the background is the the self as it exists, you know, the whole body itself and including all your history, all your future, all your uh, aspirations and all your actuality of, you know, just being who you are. So, and that's full of body sensations and full of senses and full of other inputs. So it's very, very uh, vast self. Uh, in that awareness, there's something called homeostasis where the body is really taking care of itself. Your ego thinks it's responsible for management, but the body really manages everything. You're, we talk about awareness and we talk about attention as two levels of consciousness, but uh, there's all kinds of subliminal consciousnesses which Psychologists have tested and proved that we're subject to bias from all kinds of things that they can show us in a tenth of a, or maybe a hundredth of a second, and we're not even aware of them consciously. But yet they can taste us after the fact and prove that we have some subliminal biases that have been triggered as a result of these unconscious inputs from our senses. Uh, so the sixth and final uh, approach to Zazazen, which we can practice, is just this uh, rest and relax in the upright posture, ideally with all of the other four uh, approaches to Zazen active. So we're still uh, including the background and the foreground, the attention and the awareness. And uh, the overall intent is um, not to interfere, non-hindering, uh, egoless in a sense. And uh, I think Buddhist literature in general supports the notion that uh, the humans are not necessarily, or uh, have this egoless nature. And it's evolution that has triggered our, our propensities for grasping and pushing away greed and anger, and also our delusions because evolution didn't design us to be at peace. It designed us to be a little bit out there and anxious and propagating and fleeing when we have to or fighting when we have to or uh, primarily uh, the other way of saying this is that the ego's natural state is sort of a me, 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 it's all about me. Everything is about me. And that's actually because of the way, you know, we have a tightly coupled <laughs> internal to our body and outside is loosely coupled to society. Those are two levels of uh, 
evolution's concerns. We have to take care of ourselves, we take care of our families, we take care of our nation, our groups, and so on. But the primary concern is for the self, for each of us, I think, and with ourselves. The problem with that is the biases that the ego has picked up, both by evolution and from social evolution, uh, that the psychologist tests for. And the remedy is to relax and rest in this presence, this present. I'd like to say a word that goes uh, beyond that. And I think, uh, quoting from a couple of teachers, Suzuki Roshi said something like, uh, truth and source are not something that we can consciously grasp through our reason or through our senses, but through our practice of Zazen, we may realize truth and source. He called uh, Zazen, a, or Zen particularly, a religion before religion. So it includes all other religions. Hypothetically, many of you are practicing different religions or from different religions. So, uh, and doing Zazen as a uh, stabilizing influence in that. So basically we come back to Zazen and the six approaches and each of them is really just doing the work of uh, being here, honoring our aspirations, honoring our intentions. Just, just step by step. Taking care of oneself and being aware of and integrated in this particularly the sixth step, integrating ego, dissolving or absorbing ego into the uh, awareness, ultimately into consciousness. So not only does your ego active in making up stories about yourself, which are never true, but you're aware of it as you go along. So you can handle that. The ego does that too. So I think that's pretty much enough, although I have Another page and a half. <laughs> Thank you for patience. Uh, and we'll go back to discussion and to Michael. Well, um, let's, let's open it up. Uh, if anyone has any questions for Cliff or um, would like to share something about their practice experience. sitting. I often thought about what I needed to accomplish when I got off the cushion. And um, that was my get it done mind. And then as, as my practice has expanded beyond my cushion, um, it's changing a little bit into the doing mind. Not get it done mind, but doing mind. And in a way, get it done is make sure that, is this on? Make, sh make sure that 
my ego is validated because I washed my dishes or because I whatever it was that that was undone that I needed to do that my ego needed to do and um, as I expand my practice off the cushion I'm just trying well not trying just noticing being in the moment and this is what I'm doing in this moment and this is where my body is in this moment and I don't think it has dissolved the ego in any way but it's different and so the the sitting has changed my relationship with quote unquote what I need to do to to um, oh right now I'm doing this and I don't know if that exactly goes along with your six points but it it feels like the getting it done mind for me is behind the eyeballs and the doing mind is the entire body and um, anyway that's just the thought that came to my mind Thank you for that, Connie. Um, I wanted to add, I, I've experienced some of what you've experienced. Um, but um, I think for me what I notice more is something closer to a change in personality. Um, I notice that I am less easily angered or impatient. Um, I am much uh, more uh, open-minded about shortcomings in others and see them sometimes more likely as reflections of my own shortcomings that I project onto others. And um, I think what I experience is more uh, not such a change in conscious orientation but like a hiatus where there are periods where I'm less subject to the grasping and the worrying and the scatterbrainedness or even the focused getting it done like here's the steps I have to follow in this plan to achieve X. I find not so much that that has changed but that I have some respite from that even if it's brief during sitting but I certainly notice that um, I've become uh, I suppose you would say a gentler person, less reactive, but I'm certainly imperfect and a work in progress. But that has helped me a lot with um, wasting time on being angry with things that are not under my power to change or control. Cliff, I wanted to ask you if, if I could simplify just into two kinds of practice. I don't know if this is possible, but what your thoughts are, because it, 
you know, we, we had a discussion, which unfortunately I missed, on McMindfulness and the kind of uh, corporatization of things where we extract uh, from Buddhism in a secular way something that, in the same way that kind of yoga has become an exercise routine in a lot of places and, you know, force a specific improvement of your physical body and also calmness. But I, I wanted to ask you, is it, would you say that Vipassana, for instance, is like a mindfulness practice in which you're increasingly able to note the experience in the witness, with a witness, basically, like you were saying. And Zazen is the process of kind of letting go of the noting, letting go of all of the naming, and all, and in fact, letting go of mindfulness, and just becoming a conduit for this experience of being alive. Maybe. <laughs> let, let me deviate a little bit. I, in the talk, I should have, I wanted to mention the book that Mark presented was uh, by Dan Siegel, who's a professor and teacher. And uh, it's called Aware. And also I wanted to mention the four types of Zazen that uh, Kokyo gave a one-day workshop on recently. I wasn't present, but I did get uh, the recordings and listen to them. So his uh, first type was called single mind, single pointed attention to breath. The next one was panoramic attention to breath, Zazen. The third one was inquiry to turn the light around. And the fourth was confirming the non-dual nature of awareness. I hope that comes close to answering. I, I think the ultimate state is, uh, Coben said, disappearing in the sitting. Uh, Suzuki Roshi said something like, when we sit, we are nothing. We do not, we're not even aware of, or we don't even realize what we are. Uh, a Tibetan take on that is the uh, cognizant emptiness is the ultimate state. And all those are relating to the, what I call pure Zazen, uh, which is something that may happen, but it's like going to sleep. It's something you can't will on yourself into. Can't, you know, <laughs> it happens particularly during sashins and so on. <laughs> Cliff, I always really enjoy listening to you. Uh, a, a little bit, what Mark was saying is seems to ongoing intrigue. Is I ask myself on many times why I'm listening to Dharma talks. Uh, one of the things that. Uh, I recognized. Yeah, I recognized was um, long ago uh, being s 
trusting and practicing so much of visual language. And it was asked to me of the university after working for a really long time on a body of work and they came into my studio and didn't even look at what I had made and asked me, uh, what is this? And it, I was dumbfounded, partly because I don't or didn't know very much about articulating with these words. So I um, recognized sort of the metaphor between a, a great dancer and a great teacher, perhaps, one being having a clipboard and the other one dancing. And I realized that most of my young life was looking at the dancer. And uh, so I see we're all, even if we're not doing performing. So it seems to me by people ask me, well, what is this? And I finally say something to the effect that it's not like how we normally think of things, of getting from A to B, that it's in experience, that you have to experience it. A bit like Alan Watts and the menu over the meal. So, but on the other hand, listening to you and other people, are, it's amazing your instrument of words, but it's finally not it, right? <laughs> In a way, partly. So that's all that kind of came to my mind. Mm. Not all, but that's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Did you want to sing? You said something about singing. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll sing. Yeah. From, If no one has anything to say, I'll read another page and a half of notes. So. <laughs> Nothing. Should I say something? Sure, please. Thing that came to mind during your uh, during your dis your discussion was that uh, um, what I've been what I've been trying to focus on or or um, been fo been aware of in my practice is um, a sense of um, a sense of actual place of being. I kind of call it to my. I call it. I call it a, a, the the Dharma of placement or the Dharma of placing. So I uh, 
we have this term uh, awareness. So I, I've thrown that out the window. I'm practicing awareness, <laughs> like where I am. Um, I'm trying this out. Let's see if see if it works. Like I'm trying to pay attention to um, being being located. Like right now, I think I'm in a zendo. Am I in a zendo? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in a zendo, and I'm with I'm with some spiritual friends, and we're talking, and uh, um, just noting that it sounds stupid, it sounds too simplistic, or something that's assumed. But just noting that and reminding that, reminding myself of where I am, um, helps helps my practice quite a bit. And of course, um, besides the physical sense of awareness, there's, as you mentioned, in, there's the there's the emotional sense of awareness. You know, where I am emotionally or where I am mentally, whether my mind is sharp or dull or um, or, or attentive, or or distracted, or whether my mind is in the past or the future, r rather than in in the moment. So, um, I just thought I'd add that to what you said. The the prac that's that's something I'm working on right now. The practice of awareness of where of being being of a place, you know, being in place, you know is uh, something uh, that could be added to this discussion. So, yeah. so, anyway, go, go ahead and let's hear your other page. I, I don't really want to read it. It's sort of assorted. So I would prefer further questions. And that was sort of a threat more than a, <laughs> <laughs> a what? <laughs> oh, John. Michael, um, uh, Michael, um, yeah, please you, do hold it close. Your sense of place. Um, how does that happen? Is it um, moment by moment? Is it is it in the moment, uh, or is it also sustained? Well, uh, I have to. It's, it's like checking in. So, uh, you know, the, the original teachings of the Buddha, the Sarapatthana Sutta, these four foundations of mindfulness, that's a, that's a kind of, uh, I, I would say that's a kind of uh, coming back to, to yourself, or coming back to uh, the place where you are. So the, the Sarapatthana teachings say uh, um, with your breath of course um, you um, you're aware of body as body and you calm your body or you settle your body and you're aware of sensations of the actual physical sensations and the, and the sense of what's pleasurable or, or, uh, or not pleasurable or neutral and um, and you're aware of mental states and you're aware of, of, of states of mind, and you're aware of the contents of your mind. In other words, like thinking, you know, what you're thinking. So those are kind of quickly, those are like a kind of survey uh, or a check-in of where you are. Um, so sometimes I try and do that. I try and sort of 
do a little survey and say, where's my, where's my body? How's my body? How was... Cliff talked about that too in his talk. Where's, where, where's my body? How's my body located? Or how's it doing? Or, or how's my state of mind? How's my state of mind? Or how's my sensations? How are my senses doing? In other words, like I take a little survey so sometimes. But in a, in a, um, maybe your question is like in a, in the ordinary functioning of, of life, I don't necessarily do this all the time. Um, in fact, I would think that if I did it all the time, I would, I would, um, it might disrupt the kind of harmony of just being in the moment, or, uh, or is that is that where you? Uh, oh, well, yes. Um, I uh, that last uh, part of your answer um, suggested me that um, possibly you are doing it subconsciously in the rest of your life, rather than having to deal with it consciously with the check-in and the yeah. being in the place. <clears throat> Thank you. It does, it is, does seem sometimes like a sense of returning, <coughs> but then you can't, you can't necessarily stay there like a marker, you know? You have to meet, you have to, in order to be attentive to what, you, what you're doing. Otherwise, you kind of split. Yeah, thank you. And then uh, a related question for, for Cliff. Um, these um, uh, six aspects, um, <coughs> which you have very skillfully outlined, um, can you tell us something about how we can make use of this teaching. <clears throat> um, I can see a pitfall, as similar to what Michael was talking about, of getting caught up in the words, the wordfulness <laughs> of it all, uh, and uh, losing the benefit of the teaching, so how to how to absorb the benefit and and experience the benefits of this outline? Thank you. <coughs> I didn't catch all of that, but I oh. do think that if you're working in words, that's your ego. It's the prefrontal cortex manufacturing <laughs> stuff. So the only way I know of to uh, return from that is the uh, practice of uh, either the formulaic approach of rain, you know, you recognize what you're, that this is part of you, the words are part of you, you accept them as being something you investigate, uh, maybe where you are in Michael's terms mm -hmm. and then you non-identify 
you, you recognize that you have to absorb those words as just being a minor part of everything that's going on in yourself. You're much greater. You're, you already have everything that you inspire to, including Buddha nature. Uh, Thank you. I think I got the answer. <laughs> I think you answered my thought. Thank you. Um, another way of uh, looking at practice, is, a traditional way of looking at practice, is, is uh, it's called the two two wings of meditation. Uh, shamatha and vipassana. Do people know that those terms? So shamatha, shamatha means um, the root sama means uh, to connect or to be one with, um, and shamatha means to um, to settle, to place, to calm, to uh, to arrive, um, and usually it's associated with uh, the simple attention of our of our breath or our posture, uh, the way. Cliff mentioned it. We just do this one thing. We just stay with this one thing of being with our breath. You know, um, come back to our breath, and we calm or replace ourselves in the moment. Um, that's shamatha. And the other one is vipassana, which means to uh, to be uh, to be mindful, to be uh, to be um, aware. To be, um, to have insight, to actually know, to come to knowledge. Um, it does mean discursive thought. It can include discursive thought. So vipassana is sometimes called insight. You're aware of what's going on. So those two things, those the, there's two wings of meditation. Uh, they say uh, the bird, the bird to fly well, both his he has to use both his wings, obviously. So, um, so there's a balance between these two things. So, they say in meditation, if you, if you, if you go too far with shamatha, you might you might sink into your meditation. You might sink below the actual aspect of meditation, and be, and become into kind of a dreamy trance-like state, and and kind of lose the sense of actually being present. Um, and if you indulge too much in vipassana, of course, you'll be thinking too much. You're, you'll be too mentally excited. So the idea is um, to balance these things. Yes, you're aware and you're present, but you're also calm and you're placing. These are the two wings of meditation. So that's a kind of another map of um, the meditation experience. Page. <laughs> March, maybe. <laughs>
Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.